Amen. We're going to be back in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. Everybody say Isaiah. All right. And we know that uh, Isaiah is considered the gospel of the quizzing you. Gospel of the Old Testament, right? It's not in the New Testament, it's the Old Testament, right? <laughs> All right. All right. So last week we talked about Jesus' temptation. Um, it's Luke 4, Matthew 4. Um, I, I think it was a pretty, uh, I think it's just a good way to uh, look at Scripture. But we know that Jesus overcame those temptations by because he knew the Word of God, because he was in prayer, and he was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, so we were in a week of prayer this week. We had a great turnout Wednesday night for prayer, and uh, God's presence was here, and it was uh, just a great time of prayer. And we just we went through the we prayed for every day of the week that was in that prayer sheet that we were putting on Facebook, and so we and then also in our emails. So we just went through and covered all of them. Uh, praying over the different areas, and it was a great time of sharing and praying together. Um, so it was pretty cool. So, but I want to touch again on prayer. It, probably this message and the following message will be in the book of Isaiah. And we know that, um, so in Advent, I did the, the four servant songs. All those were in Isaiah, and then Christmas Day was in Isaiah. Um, yeah, and Christmas Eve was in Isaiah. So I'm um, going to do a few more messages in the book of Isaiah, and then I think the plan will be to go back into the book of Acts, all right? But prayer. You know, I, if you, how many were watching football Monday night? How many were watching football Monday night? How many saw um, DeMar Hamlin collapse? Okay. Um, if you haven't, you can probably go back and find that. But it, it was such a significant event that, you know, if anything could, I mean, it's blizzards or whatever can't stop a football game, right? At the professional, they'll move the game or whatever. The Bills had to do that this year already. Um, but it's middle of the first quarter, and this, this young man, 24 years old, not very old, makes a tackle, gets up, and then he just like he wilts and falls to the ground, has cardiac arrest. Immediately, and all, all of a sudden, then they realize what's happening. They begin CPR on him. And the players, then it begins to hit the players. This isn't just a concussion. It's not just a broken leg or bad ankle or something like this. This, this guy, is, his life is in the balance. And to see people on the field praying, you could tell the ones that really knew how to pray. I mean, there were, some are all on all fours just praying and seeking God. It's kind of like, you know, th- there are some good people that are in uh, the professional football league and uh, one of his teammates, Stefan Diggs, played for the Vikings and stuff as well. He's been fairly open about his faith. But they prayed and they sought God. Um, so I think two or three times they had to restart his heart. Um, they got him to the hospital. And, um, you know, the, the chances isn't very good for somebody to pull out of that. Okay, I think it's less than 50%. My, my son was kind of saying, yeah, this is what it is and uh, our son Mark, and that's what it was. Um, you just get that hit at the right moment. I mean, it's just a, probably a fraction of a millisecond, and it can, it can stop, stop your heart, all right? But so everything was just kind of in limbo. They, they ended up canceling the games. So, um, but as this week has gone on, um, 
He was able to give a speech to his teammates. Um, he seems to be recovering. I think he's still considered in critical condition, but he's off uh, the breathing tube and, and all that. Uh, has all his cognitive abilities, which is kind of a um, uh, answer to prayer. But what's interesting, even watching the game last night between Jacksonville and Tennessee, they started the game. Did you? See, I don't know if you saw that, but they started the game with all the players gathering in the center of the field and they prayed for him for his continued healing. And, and the commentators are just talking about the power of prayer and, and that this his miraculous recovery. And it's kind of like, and even the ESPN guy earlier in the week led in prayer. And you can tell he came from a church that believed in the power of prayer. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, I know there are godly people in whether it's the news, ESPN, or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think they're afraid to really let their faith shine because ESPN is notorious for letting people go if they say the wrong thing. And yet uh, he stepped out in faith and prayed a great prayer. And now this man seems to be on a road recovery. I don't know if he'll ever play football again or not. I, you know, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Um, but even just to hear people talking positively about prayer, people that <laughs> I would even imagine last night. Um, so, you know, America's due for a revival, and sometimes we don't always know how it's going to happen, is it? How God could use a man that claimed to be a Christian through his life, and maybe his life was about football, but he says his values were faith and family, were his and then football. And maybe God has something in store for him that is beyond that, how God used this for a time and a season. And now God, I, d I don't know. We, we don't know. All I know is that sometimes we think we know how God's going to move and maybe he's going to move in a way that we totally did not see coming. Prayer. So in Isaiah, there's an, a pretty incredible prayer. It's found in chapter 37. And as we've talked about the book of Isaiah, I've given you just a little bit of history because, um, you know, I remember when I was young, um, before I went to Bible college, I'd read Scripture, and I didn't know the history and, and how things all tied together. And that's one of the things when you go take a class or you go to Bible college, you do a study that we, we sometimes offer in our small groups. It helps you understand the context of what is being written, right? So you can kind of put things together. So Isaiah was a prophet um, before Israel would go into captivity in Babylon. So around that 700, 586 area is when he is a prophet. This is B.C., all right? And so we've talked about that. There's two parts to the book of Isaiah. The first part is before they go into captivity. So the prophetic words that come from Isaiah are pretty, they're harsh. They're saying, hey, he's trying to get their attention and say, hey, wake up, Israel. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. And so not only does he deal with Israel, he deals with some of the other surrounding nations about the judgment that, that is coming to them. And one of the forms of judgment would be Assyria coming down from the north and eventually then Babylon. So the first half of Isaiah deals with these prophetic words. And then you get to 36 and 37 and 39, up to 39, that are this historical. It's historical. So it reads like First and Second Kings and Chronicles, okay? It's historical. And then we go into the, from chapter 40 to 66, which then is now prophetic words, but they're warm. 
the restorative, saying God, God is speaking now to the people coming out of captivity seven years later. That's what it was aimed towards, saying, hey, arise, shine, for your light is coming. It, it's very encouraging words. So all the servant songs that we were in in Advent, during that time of Advent, leading up to Christmas, are all found in that second half, right? About the servant king that would come and restore Israel, but also offer us the hope. So on Christmas Day, I did share from Isaiah 7, 14, which is the promise that the virgin or the young woman will give birth to a son. You'll call him Emmanuel, right? And so we talked about that, yeah, that pointed to Christ, but it also, if you look at it in Isaiah's context, it was, it was a prophecy for that time right then. That there was going to be a child that was going to be born and it would be a promise that God was going to assure Israel and assure Judah that God was with them. And I shared that and then in chapter 9, the son is born and he shall be called the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, everlasting father. We quote that at Christmas too, right? It points to Christ, no doubt about it. But we also talked about that Ahaz, who is the king, that that's who the promise was given to. He's the king of Judah. He's not the best king. He doesn't have faith. But Isaiah says, hey, God's going to give you a sign that it's going to be okay that I'm with you. Even though Assyria is coming down from the north and Aram and Israel are turning against you, I am going to be with you. And so the birth of his son Hezekiah, I believe, was the promise and fulfillment of that immediate prophecy. Ultimately, it's Christ when he comes to be with us. Hezekiah. So you know what's interesting? This historical part in the middle, sandwiched in the middle between of Isaiah, so before Babylon and after Babylon, guess who the history is about? Hezekiah. Yeah, so I think that builds the case for Hezekiah. It's Hezekiah's prayer that we are looking at, all right? And so um, that is a little bit of background. I think we're going we're gonna to stop with that, and then we're going to jump into uh, what we're looking at. So we're, we're going to talk at verse... Uh, 1 of chapter 36. And at this point, so Ahaz is gone. Hezekiah takes over as king at age 25. How many of you think you could be a king at age 25? Right? Oh, wow. I think Josiah was king at like age 8 or something like that. And he was a good king. But he, uh, he became king at age 8. But at age 25, and it's at age 14, uh, 14 years into his reign then, is where chapter 36 takes place. So at this point, Assyria now, you know, 40, 50 years have passed. So if Hezekiah is 25 in that prophecy, we're probably talking, and then 14 on to 25. So we're talking 30, 40 years have passed, okay? Assyria has come down from the north. Not only have they taken those northern ten tribes, which we call Israel, but now they have also taken 46 towns, cities within Judah, that southern part of Israel, and have taken them captive. And now they are at Jerusalem's doorstep saying, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to take you captive as well. That's where we're at. They've surrounded Hezekiah. They've surrounded the city. And it is, does not look good for Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. All right? The king's name is Sennacherib, so that is your quiz for the day. He's snacking on a rib, all right? That's how you remember it, Sennacherib, all right? Okay, um, the king of Assyria. 
So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll look at this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives life, and it gives us hope, and it gives us promise. And so, Father, we just pray that uh, you would take these words in the moments we have to make them come alive. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Chapter 36, verse 1, And in the fourteenth year of Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked the forty-five cities of Judah and captured them. So one commentary said about forty-six of those. The king of Assyria sent the field commander with a large army from Lachish to the king of Hezekiah at Jerusalem. So they came down from the north to Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool, the road of Landers Field, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, uh, the palace administrator, Shebna, uh, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder went out to him. So the field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah. So he's not talking to Hezekiah. He's talking to Hezekiah's officers. This is what the great king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You ever wondered about that? That you stand in the midst of fear and, and of a difficult time. What are you basing your confidence on? And that was the question that this field commander, Sennacherib, the king, was saying of Hezekiah. You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending? Are you depending um, that you rebel against me? Look, I know that you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff. So Ahaz, was his father, was tempted to put uh, trust in Egypt. Which pieces of his... Um, anyway, uh, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But I say, but you, if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whom the high places and the altars Hezekiah has removed? So one of the things that Hezekiah did is he brought reformation to Israel, to Judah. They had set up places of worship in the high places that were not ordained by God. The place where they were to come was to be in Jerusalem. And so he led reformation, but this uh, Hezek, uh, Sennacherib and the field commander are saying, well, you know, hasn't Hezekiah removed all this? And you must worship at this altar, okay? Verse 8, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer, the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? So he even gives the indication that the Assyria's attack was ordained by God, which Isaiah did prophesy about that Assyria would come down. So he says, hey, I'm being used to God to come in. All right. Um, What we don't see here is that Hezekiah has already stripped all the gold gold and silver from the temple, you know, that Solomon had built. It was lavish. It was extravagant. All that had been stripped away as an appeasement to the king of Assyria, but still Sennacherib wants more, wants more. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that the way Satan is? It's never enough. And so the Hezekiah's officers take the word to Hezekiah. and uh, But even in verses 12 and, and 13, um, these officials of Hezekiah says, hey, would you mind not speaking in Hebrew? Speak in Aramaic. Why? Because the field commander realized, you know what? I don't want to just be speaking to the officials. I'm speaking to all of Jerusalem. I want 
them to not trust Hezekiah. And so not only was he trying to get to Hezekiah, but he was trying to get to the people so they would turn on Hezekiah. You know, Hezekiah's name means the Lord strengthens me, the one who gives me strength, their mighty God. Um, and I just think about when leadership in those times of leadership to be able to stand and in times not only when you are surrounded and you don't see any way out, but then to even lead when you don't have the support of the people you're leading. That's very hard. And yet Hezekiah um, shows strength here. All right, and so they go back, they go back and report what they have heard, verse 1 of chapter 37. And they tear their clothes um, it says they're wearing sackcloth and they tear them. It was a sign of repentance. It's a sign of remorse. It's a sign of, of seeking God, okay? Um, and then they go to Isaiah. They report to Isaiah what has happened. But verse 5, it says, The king's officials came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is in verse 5 of chapter 37, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid what you have heard. Those words which uh, those underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed. So not only were they blaspheming at Hezekiah and trying to destroy his leadership, they were also cursing God. And Isaiah points that out. Verse 7, listen. When he hears a certain report, I will make him return back to his own country, and there I have him cut down by the sword. When the field commander uh, heard a certain report, he did withdraw. Okay, verse 8. Now Sennacherib received report that, um, of this, and so then he sends another word to Hezekiah. Hey, I'm pulling back, but it's kind of these parting shots, okay? Don't think, get comfortable. Don't think that I'm not going to come back. Verse 10, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the, kings of, Assyria, of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to the, all the other countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Goshen, Haran, Zephan, and Eden, and Tell Asar, the kings of Hamath and Arpad. Aren't you glad you're not reading this? And where were the kings of Lyre and Sepharavim and Hena? And yeah, he's saying, man, all of them were destroyed. Who are you that you can stand up against the king of Assyria? Mm. Who are you? You ever had those words? Who are you to stand on God's confidence and trust? You know, maybe you have cancer. Cancer speaks to you. It says, look at all the people that have died of cancer. Who are you that you can stand up against cancer? You ever heard those words, Mary? Yeah. Who are you? And so Hezekiah gets this other report. And Chris, you have the picture there. Can you put up that picture? This is just a picture. We don't know. This isn't a photograph. It's just a picture depicting Hezekiah. He goes to the temple and he lays the letter before the Lord in the temple. Isn't that just a beautiful picture? Laying it before the Lord. This is what Hezekiah did. Verse 14 says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, 
You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. So not only as he's saying, hey, not only is it cause, are we in tough shape, but God, he's, he's dishonored you. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these people, their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone. fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from His hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You, Lord, only are God. And so there's a few things that I want to pull out here. I'm going to give these to you pretty fast here. Just what are earnest prayers? The first thing we see in Hezekiah's prayer, it's a very earnest prayer, but he laid it all before the Lord. I This definitely is not... A verbose prayer. You ever been in the presence of somebody and they pray and they use all these big words and it goes on and on, right? That's verbose. 